When we start ranking kids in terms of anything, whether it's skill, strength, or speed, pre-puberty, early adolescence, we're really doing ourselves a disservice because we're chasing kids at a sport. I argue you will win when you develop all your players. You might not win in the short term, but don't let short-term fear dictate your choices and behaviors. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Amanda Stanick on the pod today. With a master's of science with an emphasis in physical education and sports psychology and a PhD in kinesiology, Dr. Stanick has published numerous articles, co-authored several book chapters, and worked with many leading American and Canadian organizations on physical education, sport health, and wellness programs. She is the founder and leader of Move Live Learn, which researches, creates, and helps implement these programs in schools, sports organizations, and health groups. We dive into late bloomers, age appropriateness, youth sports retention, and why we need to reform new sports to better mirror our education system. I'm absolutely ecstatic. I have another amazing guest. There's so many like names she has. A doctor, she's a coach, the mother, she's all these things. She's a stud athlete in her day as well. Um, she told me not to call her doctor, so I'm not gonna. Uh, really tickled to have her. Amanda Stanick. Amanda, thank you so much for hopping on. Oh, Nick, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. Oh my God. Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, so listen, I've been following your work and I've seen a lot of the activity and stuff and your passion on social media. That's how we connected. And we share a passion in particular, youth sports. I'm a big supporter and advocate for making sure or keeping an eye on late bloomers. And reason why probably is I had a late birthday myself. I graduated high school. I was 17 and I had a major jump physically and emotionally when I got to college. You know, and I remember being on the baseball field, Amanda, um, when that field goes from the little field and all of a sudden it's a big field and my body stayed little, you know, it stayed little. And I was a catcher and I couldn't reach second base, try to throw people out. And I was, it was tough to deal with when you're go, starting to go through puberty and all these things. But it's very easy in this day and age today where, you know, people kind of let those kids who are late bloomers kind of at times they kind of fall by the wayside. You know, coaches want to work with the more highly skilled kids. There's many reasons for that. Can you talk about your experience in that? I know this is something that you're very passionate about. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm a teacher in my heart. I'm a trained teacher. And I think that... When we start ranking kids in terms of anything, whether it's skill, strength, or speed, pre-puberty, early adolescence, we're really doing ourselves a disservice because we're chasing kids at a sport. Um, I think when you are picking teams, if a kid makes a team, then kids should get really close to equal playing time. And a lot of people, especially in the soccer culture, say, no, 50%, minimum 50%, that's good. But if others are getting 90%, I push them back. And I say, why should other kids get almost twice as much time if they all are on that team? And I love this analogy. Let's say, you you know, you have two kids in grade four, right? They're 10 years old, and you're going to give them both a math test. And you say to one kid, you say, hey, Johnny, you have 10 minutes to do this math test. All your friends are going to be watching, and all the parents are going to be watching. And you have 10 minutes, and you have to get it completely right. And you say to Susie, you have 50 minutes to get it right. And everyone's watching. And, you know, you can check your notes, you can check your work over, you can correct mistakes you might find, you can ask for help. Do you have 50 minutes to get it right? And, oh, Johnny, if you're not perfect, tomorrow you only get five minutes. And, Susie, if you have everything right tomorrow, you get you get 55 minutes. We would think that's insane, right? Like, at your, as a parent, like, if that was happening in our child's math class, like, right, you'd think that was insane. 100%. I mean, no question. Yeah. 
But yet in youth sport, if you put those kids on a soccer team and you say that, like people will just, they will try to justify those actions, right? They'll say, but Susie's faster. Like, I don't care that Susie's faster. If I can't remember, Johnny, Johnny made the team too. Then he should have the, because now Johnny's playing out of fear. When he does that math test the next day, he's now scared, right? Everyone saw him. He's a little embarrassed he didn't get as much time. And he wasn't able to perform his best because he had this crazy time constraint and this expectation to be perfect at 10. And so uh, we would never do these things in education. And, and, and I don't know how and where we lost our way to try to justify that in sport. But it's just foolish because we don't know that the child who's excellent at sport at 10 is going to be excellent at 15, 16, 17. Well, you know, you're talking about obviously pre-puberty. So you're saying 11 and under, right? Or even younger. Oh, I mean, that was just the example I gave. But I I mean, I would argue like I binged your podcast a few weeks ago. It's so fun. And uh, I... uh, what I, I was kind of holding my breath for the first 13 or 14 minutes of Anson Doris. I was so excited as former soccer player, so excited to hear his podcast. And then when he even said, never do any of this until, you know, they're 14, 15 ODP level. Yeah. So, so that's not even club level, right? That's like regional best of the best in club level. So like even the best, the most successful soccer coach like in the country, like in the history, yeah, he develops every player on his roster because he knows they're not done developing. So why don't we do it at age 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 when we know they're nowhere near finished developing? And why are we so like set in defending that action you know, when I, we have no understanding of adolescent psychology, right? Well, and I think that's such an incredible point. The problem is... Because I agree with you, and I, I've coached, and, and five, six, seven years ago, I thought, you know, I used to think that, you know, never about playing time particularly when it came to that, but I always thought, um, why, for instance, in baseball, this is the way I used to think before I kind of really coached for a little while. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not the right way to do it. I want to put the best players or the best athletes at the most skilled position. Why? It gives the chance to win. Now, I would also at the same time, and I can agree with this sometimes, in baseball in particular, you can put a kid out of position where it could increase his odds of getting hurt because mm-hmm. a ball gets hit hard. But at the same time, I'm like, I have to pick and choose this. But I remember coaching six, seven, eight years ago, and you know, a kid keeps getting stuck out in the outfield. And, and the outfield, when you're seven, eight, nine, there's not much activity. There's just not yeah. that happens out there. Yeah. And, and I think back on it, and I think there could be, and I think a lot of people struggle with this, coaches, especially when you're getting paid. Um, mm-hmm. There's an element of parents want to be on winning teams. So how do you juggle that? You know, if that's my livelihood, and I'm speaking devil's advocate because I agree with everything you're saying because I get, I started coaching my kids again here um, in baseball this past fall and spring, and I don't care whatsoever. I mean, I want these kids to learn how to compete and all that, but I don't, listen, we're going to try to do our best to win, but I don't care. I'm not going to, you know, that's not the important thing at those ages, but people pay, they want to win. How do you juggle that with playing time and what you're talking about? Because it is a business today. Well, I think there's a couple things. I I mean, I am really tired of uninformed parents making decisions that affect everybody's kids. (laughs) You know, like that's maybe another story. But you educate them a little bit and you say the other pieces, I argue you will win when you develop all your players. You might not win in the short term, but don't let short term fear dictate your choices and behaviors. What will happen is, like right now, like the child in the outfield all the time at that age, they don't get the same opportunity to develop their skills. So instead of strengthening your depth, you're making, you're, you're taking your depth away. And then in, in other team sports, in field sports, you're creating a culture of fear 
for the kids like little Johnny who only have so much time to prove themselves. So there's no way they can perform to their potential. And then you're also, when you have like, I talk a lot about age appropriateness, right? They're not psychologically mature enough to understand this idea of being a quote unquote role player. It's fine for a college coach to talk that way. That is no business in youth sport. These are, these are kids. And I would tell the parents about the black box of puberty and I'd show them the data that a surprising amount of early developers who are, who are strong and fast, they quit the second they're ever met with any adversity because they were always told they're perfect and played every minute of every game, right? And then you lose the kids that never get to play and they haven't developed yet. You have no idea how much potential they have. And you're lucky to hold on to this middle group who aren't the early developers, but they got enough time that they were able to develop and they didn't have to be the quote prima donna and they stuck with it. And so your talent pool is decreased by a ton. And so I just explain all that to parents. Like, you know, my kids didn't want to wear a seatbelt when they were little, but that doesn't mean I didn't make them wear a seatbelt because mm-hmm. they didn't want to. So if a parent wants to win, first of all, question why? Like the purpose that kids play sport, the research is clear and profound. It's to have fun. The number one reason why they quit sport is fun. And you'll have Cinderella story teams that will win when they don't have talent, as much talent. And I just have to put a plug in. I had two nephews who played on this major midget hockey team in Northeast Nova Scotia, where I'm from, the Cape Breton West Islanders. And they won the national championship in Canada. It was called the TELUS Cup. Well, teams from Toronto had more people try out for the goalie position than my nephew's team had trying out for the whole team. I was going to say, that's got to be an amazing accomplishment in Canada to win that level in hockey. Yeah, it was televised live on TSN. I think I paid 50 bucks here in St. Louis to get it and watch it. And it was like something out of the movies. It didn't hurt that Colt Mellis, their goalie, is now drafted by the Blues. He's exceptional. And these boys are all 20-ish now. And I talked to one of my nephews about this a few weeks ago. He said, confidence is king, Aunt Amanda. And he's like, we won that. He's like, it was still the best team I was ever a part of. He played three years in major junior hockey in Canada, which is a big deal. He's going on to play college Canada up there. He's like, everyone on our team got a chance, equal chance to go out there. And we all believed in each other. And no one was going to beat us. We had no business even being there. You know, and so I say, you want to win, we might take our lumps early on, but if you stick with this process, we're following the research, we're doing what's best for kids, we're fostering a culture of joy, and you watch the championships we win. Maybe not at 8, 9, and 10, but we'll watch them when it's that much more, we'll get them when it's even more special, you know. I feel like I could go for a run right now. I really You know what, you, I'm listening to you and you're... <laughs> You're getting me excited because I, I lived that. You know, I lived that when I was, uh, you know, younger. We didn't win that much. And then I was a sophomore in high school. We had a bunch of sophomores that were starting. I was one of them. We went 3-17. and 17. Then we turned around. We go 12-8 and eight the following year. The next year, my senior, we won a state title when we were all seniors. We played. Amazing. For all those years. But I hear you and I talk about long term. And I totally agree. Like, if you develop everyone in the long term, you're going to be better. But I, I can specifically think of situations where I've talked to friends of mine who are calling okay. me venting about how, you know, they're on this travel team and the coach is playing this kid who doesn't even belong on the team and they're all paying the same amount of money. And I'm going, man, this is a tough thing to, to navigate at times. You know, it is. And here's the thing that you talk about people are making a living. And what do you say to that? I say, if you're making a living, that involves stealing kids' joy from movement, like, you need to really look in the mirror. You know, I just don't get it. Like, in education, it's about building up every kid to feel empowered and inspired to think critically about what they learn in the world around them, right? Why would we not want to do 
you know, what's parallel in sport. We have taken adult version of sport and stuck it on kids. Yes. And and, and, and we're we're running kids out of the opportunity to just love movement. My husband and I, we kind of joke, like we were both fortunate enough to get to play sports in, in college. And people kind of look at me funny in the game because I cheer on like both teams because I'm that mom, you know, and everything. <laughs> I only say like, great hustle, great save, honey. And the kids are 12 and, and they look at me and they freaking smile. Yeah. And then the crazy thing is parents will be saying to me leaving, thank you for cheering for my kid. I mean, are we really at that point now where we, we think that's special? I mean, that shouldn't be special. They're children. They're being courageous. So I like to say we pick our own physical activity goals even at 45 years old. And that's where we go be like, we want to compete and win. Then let's go like, we're going to go win ourselves in our age group and like the old people age group at the local 5k. <laughs> you know, if we want to compete, we compete, but we don't, we don't treat our kids like little adults and try to rewrite our sports history on our children who are learning. So I really believe that if you develop everyone, and I say don't overemphasize those who are more skilled, don't overemphasize or favor those who are faster and stronger pre-puberty. We don't know what's going to happen. Pick your team. Pick your team based on skill. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. That's appropriate. Kids are motivated to learn and thrive in physical activity environments when they have approximately an 80% success rate. Right. So we don't want them playing on a team they, they are not ready for. And we don't want them playing on a team that they totally dominate and their heads and tails better than everybody else. But once they're on the team, once the teams have been picked and people agree these are a reasonable group of kids to be together, develop all of them equally. Yes, equally, like within five to 10 percent of, of equal playing time. That's my that's what I preach. <laughs> not that anyone's listening or caring, but I'm really excited that, you know, Maybe you can help get the message out there, Nick. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, you, you, I love when I'm speaking to people who have passion, and clearly you do. Um, and what I often talk about and I think is so vital, because clearly you're a competitive person, I would imagine you, you're, you like to compete in many areas of life. Now, people misconstrue, and I would love for you to talk about this if you can. People automatically tie results with competing. You know, like, I think people yeah. think, you didn't compete well if you lost like that's not necessarily true at all like no it's not you can win and not compete well can you talk about real quick how you can teach kids or do you believe you can teach kids how to be great competitors without having the emphasis on winning and losing a hundred percent and this is why i don't like when people who quote unquote look more competitive at younger ages are really given advantage by coaches in terms of playing time because it is something you can teach but it doesn't like some kids aren't raised to be number one some are raised to be kind right and so it might take them a while to understand what competition looks like but you can absolutely teach it in a joyful environment and teaching them that giving your best is competing giving your best every play giving your best as a teammate giving your best as a student as a member of the family those are ways that you can reach and thrive toward your potential. Always making choices that set you up for that is competing. And it can be and it should be joyful. Competing shouldn't be fear-based. Then we we have kids not trying things. You know, coaches should be like audibly celebrating a kid that tries something new and totally screws it up, mm -hmm. right? But they should be celebrating it in front of the whole team. So everyone can know that the coach was like, that was brave. That was awesome. Next time you're going to nail it. So it is something that you have. I think in many ways you absolutely have to teach it. And winning can be defined as reaching your goals as an individual and as a team. 
It can be defined as doing better than you've ever done before. It can be defined as improving. It can be defined as like meeting little goals that you had for a certain opponent. But if you put it on wins and losses, that's just really dumb because you can't control the other team. You can't control the official. You can't control the weather. So you just you can't control who's in quarantine. Like you can't yeah. control those things. So you're setting yourself up for just unrealistic expectations when you start setting those things up. And I am really passionate about it. I mean, I spent 12 years in university studying this because I was so curious. And I think that we have so many well-intended people serving their communities. I'm not like the critic who counts in many ways, but it's about educating these wonderful volunteers. It's not about shaming them. It's about having courageous conversations, really good coaching education. And I believe it was someone maybe on your podcast, but I've always said this and believe it to be true. If you're teaching, you were talking about your seven, eight-year-olds playing baseball, that coach shouldn't be like looking up high school baseball coaches or college coaches for suggestions. They should be finding the favorite teacher in the local elementary school who teaches first and second grade, buying them a coffee and find out like, what do you do that makes these kids love coming to school every day? And learning from the local teacher of how to create a community where they work together. You know, team sport right now is being destroyed, I feel like, because everyone's out for themselves. Well, if we put our kids in team sports to learn how to work with others, and you're always trying to box someone out because you're scared their kid's going to get ahead. I mean, that's really messed up. It's really messed up. And the other thing that's a little messed up is how often people want to talk about, like, kids' skill level in sport. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, that's so-and-so. He's really fast. That's so-and-so. She can really do this well. I'm like, are they kind? <laughs> like, like, why Why is it that we talk about those things so much? Like, sport, I, I mean, I love it because it's joyful and it's funny. And I, you know, you mess up and you get back up and then it feels better when you do it right the second time. That's what kids need to learn. They, they're not going to learn that if they're scared, if they're going to get on the field when they're prepubescent or in the middle of adolescence. It's just, I have people emailing me, calling me at least 10, 15 people a week asking for advice. Parents scared to talk to the coach. We saw with USA Gymnastics what happens when parents don't have any agency. And they feel like their kids are going to be punished if they talk about it. You know, our kids' well-being is by far the most important thing here. You know, parents do know children, like, as well as the community volunteer. When we come back, Amanda and I dive into youth sports retention. Where Amanda and I left off, we were about to discuss the retention issues plaguing youth sports today. You know, I know you said you, you've done a ton of this work for 12 years and studied it. And I think the statistic is, I don't know if the Aspen Institute or whomever, but around like 60 to 70 percent of kids drop out of sports by the time they're 13 or something yep. along those lines. There's some some yep. gigantic number. Now, I, I think that as well. You know, sometimes I hear that number and I go, well, listen. 13, right? You're starting to maybe start puberty. Kids start to have a voice for themselves. Maybe they really haven't enjoyed it. They go down different avenues. And also it becomes more competitive. I mean, you start, you're approaching, you know, you're in middle school, you're getting towards high school. So is it because our kids just dropping out because it's not fun anymore because they had a bad experience or just because it doesn't fit them? How do you do a better job in retention? And you have a wrestling background, right? Your husband wrestled. Wrestling loses a ton of kids, more than yeah. I think any other sport. Ben Askren told me it's like 40 to 50% of kids turn over year over year. I mean, like an astronomical number. How do we retain kids in sport at the youth level? 
Well, I can talk about it in general, and then I can speak to wrestling. Yeah. Um, in, in general, around that time is also the time a lot of people believe that their kids should have access to a phone. And so I think that there's a lot of things happening around 13 that contribute to this. But I will say that there is a lot. You just look at Twitter, which you see, particularly like dude soccer coaches. Like they're really vocal about some of them will really justify playing kids, like benching kids. So you have a lot of kids now, and, and soccer is really guilty of requiring kids to be there, you know, four or five days a week at a really, really young age in the United States. So now you're having a, too much of an identity with sport at a young age. And then as they get older and they're getting benched, they're seeing like, oh my gosh, like this is miserable. I'm not playing. I thought I was a good soccer player. So you're losing a surprising amount of those kids. That's one of the really interesting things from the research. Um, another thing is a lot of families, it, it, because it is ego-driven and because it, it can be expensive, they think, well, if my kid isn't on the top, whatever, maybe we should try something else. Mm -hmm. And people who own clubs have told me that, like, that, oh, well, maybe this isn't the sport for them if they, if they aren't on the whatever team. And then I just think some people maybe aren't as willing, like, I have three girls and they play a club in one sport. And then we moonlight in other sports. So they do like, I call it chill league ice hockey. Mm -hmm. And they have a freaking blast, right? Yeah. And that coach, we'd probably win more games if he'd play his kid more because she's so good. But he just rotates the bench. He doesn't care if it's the most beginner kid or whatever, and it's a penalty kill. And I'm telling you, my 12-year-old, she's like, I just want to do more hockey. It's so fun. Like, she's having a blast. And she's brand new to it. She's only been doing it for a year. So... I think that if you're a coach, like, I'm going to give him a shout out, Coach Dan Hawk in St. Louis, um, and you're making the sport so fun for the kid, you're not going to lose them. Mm. You're just not going to lose them. And he doesn't care with the parents. I don't think he cares. I don't know. He doesn't really interact. They stay away. It's all good. Um, but he's just, he's beautiful at what he does. And he's just a volunteer in the community. So perspective is a really big thing and yes there's a lot of things pulling them to be active in puberty and body changes and you know my oldest she was playing field hockey and she kept falling and you'd hear some people like audibly sighing almost like she's literally running down she doesn't even have the ball the ball's nowhere near her, and she'll fall well her feet grew three and a half sizes in a year yeah <laughs> she's like why do i keep falling i'm like because your feet grew three and a half sizes in a year yeah. <laughs> so i think like if someone's getting ridiculed by their parents because they kept falling right or they hear the dad audibly sigh like maybe they'll quit because that's shaming kids right it's shaming kids for being who they are so mm -hmm. i just have no time for that it's not the purpose of sport those competitive kids who are highly skilled highly motivated they're going to make their way to the top but it's like we shouldn't deny everybody else a chance to, to be like you you promote a lot of d3 which i love d3 athletics and i play college sports in canada which is probably more similar to a d3 model in many respects and i mean that is it's, it's joyful right like why would we want to deny kids that i, I don't know I, I i can't figure that out <laughs> well I, I just think there's so it's kind of like we said there's so many you know benefits and then at the same time, I wanted to ask you, you know, with your background in wrestling, as far as your husband and such, you've been around the sport for a long time. Why do you think there's even more kids being lost in that sport? Wrestlers are their, <laughs> wrestlers are their own worst enemy. You know, they're such lovely people to have on your team. But they're also like they love to say their sport is the hardest sport. Um, they love to say that wrestlers are the toughest. Once you've wrestled, you know, famous quote from Dan, Dan Gable, yeah. life is easy. You know, and I am very honored. I was the recipient of the American, the Dan Gable America Needs Wrestling Award for some of my research. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, yeah I know. My husband was dying laughing in the audience. 
I love wrestling because there's a singlet in every size. Yeah. I love wrestling because if your listeners look up Anthony Robles, they will be moved to tears and inspired to run up a mountain. Um, an athlete who was born with one leg and was the NCAA champion, Division One for wrestling. You know, I love wrestling because it's inclusive. I love wrestling because it's a sport for a different type of girl that might, you know, want to compete in a different way than the more traditional girl sports. So I I love wrestling. It's it's not expensive. Yeah. It doesn't care what zip code you live in. You don't need a fancy pool or a turf or a water turf or ice. I love wrestling for the equity of it um, and just the overall body awareness and conditioning and all of the things and confidence against kids. What I don't love about wrestling is how they sometimes talk and, and kind of push this adult version of the sport at the youth level in many clubs and I think that drives a lot of kids out of it and and rather than trying to hook them I think once they're older and they understand yes we should be proud we work really hard and everything but don't don't scare kids before they have the competence and confidence to enjoy that environment don't scare them away because it's going to take a little while for most kids to have success in wrestling such a great point. And that is, you know, you think about, and I mean, echo it, the great Dan Gable, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy. And, uh, you know, I watched my kids and I'm like, holy cow. And when I had Jordan Burroughs on, right, who's arguably the yeah. GOAT, he talked yeah. about it. He talked about it. He used that word that you've been using a lot, courageous. And wrestling's mm-hmm. hard, but you're, you make a great point. I love that sport. I think it's amazing. And I love what you just said because there's a singlet for every size or a size, you know, yeah. and, and my oldest son, Avery, who's, um, you know, he's going to go on and wrestle in college and he loves the sport. He loved playing football. He had a lot of intensity, a lot of aggression. You know, he loved to get after it, but he's a smaller kid. And mm-hmm. he just didn't fit that mold. But it was like dropping a fish in a fish tank when he got on the wrestling mat. It like harnessed it. all his athleticism and energy. And it I was such it. an amazing outlet. Quite frankly, I don't mean to blow him up here, but he used to, when he was younger, struggle with ADD and some other things. Mm-hmm. And it was like almost instantaneous, a change in his life. And a couple years later, we asked him like, and he, and he, he came out and said, he goes, I don't know what it is. When I'm dog tired after a workout, I can focus on my schoolwork better. And and mm-hmm. he actually, no, we never, I don't know if there's any science behind it, but I mean. No, there is. I'm sure. I mean, there there's is. a lot of science behind that. There's a whole book, Spark, um, The Revolutionary Science of Exercise in the Brain by Dr. John Rady out of Harvard. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I mean, I feel the same way after a great workout. Oh, no I doubt. I can zoom in and focus and get three hours of work done in an hour, as opposed to, I don't feel like going for that run, and now I'm spending the whole day getting through a couple of emails. I mean, that's not quite accurate, but you know what I mean. Sure. And so it's it's really true. And your point of putting the fish in the fishbowl is really, really important to the youth sport conversation as well. I like to call it trying on mom jeans for the, for the female listeners out there. Women hate trying on jeans. We hate it. It's horrible. And then you find a pair you like, and you're like, sweet, these fit, they feel good. And then it goes out of style, and you're like, crap, you know, and now I can go try on more jeans. But, like, every kid should try on all the different sports. And sometimes, I think parents in the in the stands and everything, they really, really lose perspective of, you know, they try to rank kids at age five and define them in, in these ways or even at 12. And it's really, really unfortunate. Nick Preston, I think he was a three-time All-American from um, Ohio State. He was my husband's roommate when, like for a year or two at UVA um, later on. But he didn't start wrestling until he was a sophomore in high school. 
Yeah. Like you can still like there's still some sports that you can be late entry. That my friend Pat Totsi, he's got two boys. One's going to Air Force. One's visiting colleges now for wrestling. They didn't start wrestling until three or four years ago when they kept getting cut from basketball. <laughs> you know. So it's like there is something for everyone, and I think that that is why when you pick everyone on a team and everyone's proved in the tryout that they belong on that team. I think this notion of winning championships and everything, like I really think people need to just step back and just remind, like, let's not lose our way here. You know, um, this is just not what this is This is for. Now, I say that that also is a place of privilege, right? Like there's some people, I, I was at a meeting with um, a, a friend last week out at the U.S. Olympic Museum, Dr. Kevin Chapman at Louisville. And, and he was like, you know, sport was my ticket. So for some, it is like there is definite pressure to be on those teams that go to these things, showcases and, and do well. And so in those instances, like, you know, as for juniors and seniors in college, like I understand it can be a little different then. But if you don't want to listen to someone who's got three degrees in this stuff and has studied it for now, well, 45, like look at Anson Dorrance. I mean, he, you know, he said it. He develops every single person on his roster and people laugh at him and he's like, but who has all the titles? Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you tell him, Anson. Like, that was amazing. <laughs> so, well, Amanda, I tell also me this. loved when Go ahead. Sammy Ward's interview when they came up and told her that her kid needed a different coach not knowing who she was. Yeah, I thought that was awesome, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's, and I think that sums a lot up. Amanda, tell me this. Where can we find you? Where can we find your work? I know you've written a ton of articles. Things have been published. Where can people connect with you? Yeah, well, my website is movelivelearn.com, and I'm on Twitter at movelivelearn, and same with Instagram at movelivelearn. And Nick, I just want to sincerely, you know, thank you for, for your work and your voice in this movement. You and my friend Heath Esslinger from A Better Way Athletics are really getting this message out there, and I think people are finally willing to listen, and I'm just really humbled to have had this time with you today. Amanda, I can't thank you enough, and shout out Heath. Heath's a good dude. I've connected him several times. Does amazing work. And I just can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your insights, sharing your feedback. And we're definitely going to dig deeper even more so. So uh, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. That's Dr. Amanda Stanek, physical education, sports psychology, and kinesiology expert. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.